Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And thank you, first of all, for joining us again today. You're welcome, Kyle. We always like to start with the Angelus. Do you have an intention for our Angelus? Well, just want to pray. We're still at the early part of the new year to pray yep. for all the people of our diocese. Great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode of Truth in Charity, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend, breaks down the facts and myths behind a hot topic in popular culture and the Catholic Church, exorcisms. Bishop will explain what the word means and the different types there are. Then he'll talk about the specialized ministry of exorcist priests and the teams they assemble. He'll review the rite of major exorcism, the extensive process used to determine if an exorcism is needed, and what Bishop says is the more common issue, demonic influence on places. The show will wrap up with ways we can protect ourselves and our families, knowing that, in the end, Christ wins. If you would like to submit a question for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future show, download the Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and submit your question there. Or go to RedeemerRadio.com askbishop to ask a question or check out previous episodes. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and today we have a special episode, and we are going to be talking about a topic that I've got a lot of questions in, and I think a lot of people that I've talked to leading up to this, telling them that we're going to be talking about it, they're excited and they have a lot of questions as well, and that is the topic of exorcisms. So first of all, in yesterday's gospel, which is Mark chapter 1, we hear that in their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. Later says, Jesus rebuked him and said, quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. And then in today's gospel, also they said, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. And then later in that gospel, it says, he went into their synagogues preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. So, an appropriate time to talk about this. First of all, maybe our Catholic word of the week could be the word exorcism. Yes, um, the word exorcism, Kyle, is, uh, has its root in the Greek exorcismos. Okay. And really, it is the administration of an oath. 
an oath. Um, hmm. So to exercise is to bind by an oath. And you could see how this came to be used for the driving out of evil spirits because they're they're bound by God's oath, by God who who come who overcomes evil. So that's the origin of the word. And there's so many things that I've heard about exorcisms. I think this will be a great opportunity for us to to root through some of the maybe the, the legends and the myths from the truth. Uh, one of the things I've heard is there's two different types that there's major and minor exorcisms. That's correct. Um, both rites of exorcism, both the, the major and the minor, are directed against the power of the devil. The rite of major exorcism, though, is only used when there's a case of genuine demonic possession. Okay. That's a major exorcism, when someone is actually possessed by a demon. The minor exorcisms, and by the way, a major exorcism can only be performed or done by a priest with the authorization of the bishop. Okay. So lay people uh, or religious or deacons may never do a major exorcism, only a bishop or a priest designated by him. Whereas minor exorcisms others can do depends on um, the situation. But a minor exorcism is a they're basically prayers that are used to break the influence of evil and sin in a person's life. And we, for example, every time we baptize an infant, we do a prayer of minor exorcism. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Okay. And of course, the, the one baptizing does that. So it could be a priest or a deacon. Mm -hmm. There's also in the RCIA, when catechumens are preparing for baptism, there are these minor exorcisms that can, can be done. They're basically prayers, but we shouldn't confuse them with the rite of major exorcism itself. When you say that they can be used for those preparing to enter the church through RCIA, are you saying that it wouldn't necessarily always be there? Is that up to the priest to decide if that would be appropriate? Or? Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember in the RCIA if it's required. I think they're more suggested um, than required. There are also prayers that, that laity or the faithful can pray privately if they feel that they're really struggling against some evil power. Hmm. But those are prayers that can be offered by anyone. They're in a, uh, they're basically supplications. And uh, if someone was interested, they could get copies of those. But again, that's different from a major exorcism. And then you said the exorcism, a major exorcism needs to be performed, performed by a bishop or somebody designated by him. So are all bishops authorized to perform exorcisms just by their ordination to the episcopacy yes okay and then does every bishop then designate an exorcist a priest to be an exorcist for the diocese it's recommended okay that every bishop have uh designate a priest but it's not just designated priest it's also making sure that priest gets the proper training mm -hmm. you know we look for certain qualities because this is a pretty pretty important significant thing you want to have a priest who's very prudent i think the code of canon law says a priest who's appointed to the ministry of exorcist the canon 1172 says should possess piety knowledge 
prudence and integrity of life. Hmm. And, um, and I would just add to that that the priest needs to be specifically prepared for this office of exorcist. So it's a really a specialized ministry. Years ago, it was just they would learn kind of like as an apprentice working under a priest who's kind of experienced sure. as an exorcist. But in recent years, there's some programs that we have in the church for the training of, of our priests for exorcism, to be exorcists. You know, and I've sent two of our priests for that training. The other rumor that I've always heard is that you're not supposed to know who the exorcist is for the diocese, that that's supposed to be a secret. Is that true? Well, I, we do kind of keep it confidential. I think it's something that we want to be very discreet about. And also, I don't want the priest to be just overwhelmed by everyone, you know, so many people calling and, mm -hmm. and that. So, you know, to avoid all sensationalism or to, um, you know, I think it's best to keep it quiet who it is. If someone needs those services, they should contact their pastor. The pastor could contact my office i would have to be made aware of it because no exorcism can be done without my permission okay and then does the secrecy of the exorcist have anything to do with demons or devils knowing who he is no okay no interesting what happens at an exorcism Okay, the major exorcism. Sure. I can review the, the rite. You know, we have a, a new rite that came out a few years ago, several years ago in Latin, but only a few years ago in English. All the bishops of the United States re received a copy mm -hmm. of the rite of major exorcism. You know, an exorcism is a sacramental, so it's, a, it's not a sacrament, it's okay. a sacramental. So it's similar to some other sacramentals and prayers of blessing that we have, but it's a little more involved. Sure. Um, there are introductory rites and, and prayers that are said at the beginning. There's a sprinkling with holy water over the afflicted person. There's a litany of supplication, which is basically the litany of saints, followed by several other invocations. There's recitation of Psalm 91. And actually, an exorcist could select other psalms to pray as well, and even um, Is there something specific about Psalm 91? Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm where we pray, You, O Lord, are my refuge. And it uh, has certain invocations, like, He will free you from the snare of the fowler, from oh, the yeah. destructive plague. So... It says things like, you will not fear the terror of the night, mm -hmm. nor the arrow that flies by day. Upon you no evil shall fall, for he has commanded his angels to keep you in all your ways. So, so it's very appropriate, the, the words of that psalm, for an exorcism. Okay. And then after the, the psalm or psalms, there is a gospel. Generally, it's the prologue of the gospel of St. John. But there are also other gospel passages that a, a, the exorcist can choose. And then after this, because the Word of God is, is powerful. It's mm. a really important part of the rite of exorcism. That's followed by a laying on of hands, where the exorcist lays his hands upon the head of the afflicted person. And there's various invocations that he says. And the response is, Lord, have mercy. By the way, there should be other people there. 
it shouldn't be just the exorcist and the possessed person. The church highly recommends that there be some members of the faithful who would be there praying throughout the ceremony. Then there's the, the profession of faith, which can be done in, in two forms. It could be just the recitation of the Nicene Creed, or it can be the renewal of the baptismal promises, but expanded a little bit with um, about, do you renounce Satan? Um, do you renounce yeah. the lore of evil? All of those questions. So the people are responding to that. Um, then the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father is prayed. And then there's the showing of a cross. The exorcist will show a cross and bless the, uh, the person with the cross. And then there's a breathing upon the person, you know, where it's kind of a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like when the bishop breathes over the, the chrism, when he consecrates the chrism. Yeah. And then after that's the actual formula of exorcism. It's a long prayer. The deprecative formula, which is the first thing that always has to be said, is really a prayer to God. And then the exorcist can do a second formula, a second prayer, which is called an imperative formula, where the priest is actually addressing the demon. That can never be said by anyone else but uh, the priest, by the way. Hmm. Then there's a prayer of thanksgiving. Usually, they'll they'll pray the Magnificat of Our Lady or the Canticle of Zechariah, and there'd be a final prayer and a final blessing. So that's really the rite of major exorcism, kind of summarizing it, Kyle. But I think it's important to realize that this is not used very often. Okay. To be honest, demonic possession is is not common, and there are people who think they're possessed and they'll come and say you know they think they're possessed but we do an investigation mm -hmm. the church is very very careful and i would say extremely cautious because sometimes there are other things going on in the person's life we would want to have well actually the church requires moral certainty that a person is possessed. So mm -hmm. it's not used if a person just comes and says, oh, I think I'm possessed. No, there is, a, and, and you know, we consult medical people, psychologists, psychiatrists. If we have moral certainty that the one is truly possessed by a demon or demonic forces, and it's not just some psychological thing, then we would proceed and I would give permission for the rite of exorcism to be used. So we can't just um, accept anyone who claims that they're possessed by a demon. No, it has to be moral certitude. And then where does all this take place, an exorcism? It should be in a, in, a, in a church or a chapel, Okay. but it would be where no one else is around. So if it's in a church, the church would have to be locked. It's not like where other people can, can come, just the team that we've assembled. Or it could be in a chapel that might be a little more likely a chapel we don't do exorcisms in private homes it should be in a sacred place okay in the movies they always do house calls right like. right uh, i guess if there was an emergency situation where a person couldn't get to church perhaps but but no generally it should be in a in a sacred place a chapel or a church what about objects or homes themselves can they be possessed and need an exorcism Yes, actually, I would say that's more common 
actual cases of demonic possession are very uncommon. We've seen more cases, especially in recent years, where there's a demonic influence on places. I had one experience some years ago where I, I was in a person's home. They are, there were problems, and this, this newly married couple came to see me and said all these strange things happening in their home. And I went there and saw with my own eyes hmm. uh, furniture moving around and drawers opening and wow. lights flickering and all those kinds of things. And um, it was really kind of disturbing. So there are special prayers that we, we can say in those situations. It's not a major exorcism, but there are it's really kind of the minor exorcism it's basically um you know a cleansing of the place i guess you could say and in the the rite of exorcism in one of the appendix one of the appendices it gives these prayers that can be said and, and blessings that can be done in a place where they speak of it as demonic infestation it's interesting that case that i witnessed we did some research and found that previous occupants had been involved in Satan worship. Hmm. See, so usually something like that happens, you know, there's some kind of invitation, I would say, to the uh, the devil or the demons where we see yeah. these kind of phenomena, phenomena take place. Have you been to many other exorcisms? I've never been to a major exorcism. Okay. You know, a great prayer for people to say, too, is the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. And usually, in this case that I mentioned of going to a home where it looked like there was some kind of demonic infestation, that was one of the prayers that, that we said. There are other prayers as well. I think we have to be a little careful, too. Some people try to see, like, they see demons everywhere or whatever. I think that can that's not healthy. This is serious business, and... Um, I think one has to have a, a good balance. I mean, if one is living the faith and one is receiving the sacraments, one shouldn't be living in fear of the devil. Christ has already conquered Satan. But we have to be careful not to give an opening. One of the things I mentioned, people involved in satanic worship or witchcraft or where someone can open themselves to the dominion of the devil. But there are also some other practices uh, especially of new age practices that kind of can be an invitation almost to demons it's not good to visit psychics and mediums and mm -hmm. things like that then you're stepping into that realm and you're asking for trouble some people say well how do you really come to a determination that a person's actually possessed as i said we do quite a thorough investigation some of the things that will be seen when it's a case of authentic possession would be a person who has superhuman strength yeah you know that's been seen um the speaking or understanding words in an unknown language that's one of the things that mm -hmm. sometimes happens the knowledge of distant and hidden events you know if the person possesses saying things that there's no way they could know about let's say in the in the life of of the exorcist or something you know but strength beyond that physical strength beyond the the individual's capacity so all of those things could be an indication that yeah perhaps this person is possessed but also one has to look at other things you know of the spiritual order if there's this vehement aversion towards god or towards the church or towards the name of jesus hmm. or the most blessed virgin mary 
or towards the Eucharist. So you really have to carefully weigh it and then have to have that moral certitude and make a prudent judgment. As I said, we would consult experts in the areas of medicine and psychiatry. You know, I would always seek the advice of experts before I give the okay to an exorcism being performed. All right. Well, this is opening up. I've got so many more questions about this, and we're going to talk about them uh, as well as, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about the team that uh, an exorcist might put together and spiritual evil and things that might seem harmless. We'll talk about that coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here talking about exorcisms and you mentioned a team that a priest wouldn't go to a major exorcism by himself. First of all, he has to be authorized by you or his local bishop if it's not happening in this diocese, but um, that he wouldn't go alone. Why is that? Why wouldn't a priest go into that? Alone? Well, I think, well, one thing is the right itself has responses, you know, and, oh, okay. and, and you have other people praying mm-hmm. is really an important part of it, I think. You can also have people who are not present but are informed that it's going on and they can be praying elsewhere in a, uh, let's say, a, an adoration chapel or maybe praying okay. a rosary during the time. But I think, you know, there may be some as- assistance needed. For example, I know in one case where the person needed to be held down because of damage that the person would have done to the exorcist or Mm -hmm. harm that they would have done again having this kind of super strength so i think it is good to have some others there and as i said it's pretty much it's very strongly recommended how are people picked for that well in in case we have here um there's a really good group of those who have a certain knowledge of this and uh, are really good prayerful people the uh, exorcist asked me gave me the list of those he would want on this team and i gave my approval okay you mentioned this superhuman strength where does that come from i hear stories of an old lady who's able to throw a 250 pound man across the room or something like that where does this superhuman strength come from the demon so they have power like yeah, that. I mean, yes, yeah. I mean, that's that's where it comes from. You remember, these are these are spiritual beings. They're fallen angels, you know. So their intellectual faculties are greater than ours. That's how they know other languages, etc., and can use that. They know, for example, can know maybe some past sins of uh, someone present at the exorcism and reveal them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's things like that that happen. These are creatures. These are spiritual creatures. I'm not an expert on this, Kyle, yeah. but from what I've read, very, very strange things. You mentioned some things that could cause problems and open us up to some of these demonic attacks, including psychics and mediums. Why is that kind of asking for trouble, if you will? Uh, is the psychic not talking to dead people like they might be claiming, but actually they're talking to demons? I don't know a lot about what psychics do, but it's kind of entering into the realm of the dead, and uh, they can enter into the realm of demons. I would say also there are certain things like Ouija boards Mm -hmm. that are really dangerous. I've known some cases that I've read about that I don't know personally where people have 
open the door to the demonic by by using Ouija boards, tarot cards, those kinds of things. So they should, you know, when you think about those things, they're all violations of the first commandment, you know, mm. and, and, you know, the first commandment is we should honor the Lord our God. We shouldn't have other gods and uh, before him. And in a sense, those who dabble in this stuff, even though they might think, oh, it's just fun, it's just, you know, it's harmless. Well, it can be harmful. And so, therefore, it needs to be avoided. Apparently, the Long Island medium came to Fort Wayne not long ago, and a lot of people went to the Coliseum to see that. Are things like uh, going to psychics, uh, experimenting with Ouija boards, all of these other things that you said you know could be problematic? Is that something that somebody should go to confession? Yeah, I would say you know if you trust in other powers other than God, that kind of can border on um, idolatry sometimes. Another thing that I've kind of seen mixed opinions on is Dungeons and Dragons. Do you know anything about that? If that's I think it is something that's uh, problematic. I don't know enough about it, though. Uh, Also, is the Blessed Mother invoked during exorcisms? Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the prayers, Our Lady and and the saints are invoked. You know, oftentimes the the demon will show aversion to, for example, the holy name of Jesus, but also the name of Mary. I mentioned that there is a litany of saints, and during the litany of saints, Mary is called upon. And in the actual, I'm trying to, the actual prayer of exorcism, as I mentioned, there are two formulas, the deprecative formula, which is addressed to God, and um, there's also asking for the prayers of the Blessed Virgin Mary when the exorcist is praying that that prayer and also there's an invocation of saint michael the archangel and all the good angels mm-hmm. uh the apostles peter and paul are invoked and then uh, oftentimes the magnificat mary's uh, canticle is prayed at, a- after the prayer of exorcism so yeah our blessed mother is is invoked during this ceremony so i'm kind of getting the, the impression that there's other different levels like a. Uh demonic attacks versus full-blown possession possession right right and uh, so therefore in these cases of kind of external attacks you can call them in those situations prayers can be offered what we call deliverance prayers okay but those are things that are outside the person rather than they come from outside whereas a possession is it's it's inside the person so prayer and fasting are really the most effective remedies for these demonic attacks or influences i guess you could say i think a person who's experiencing those things needs to pray needs to get go to confession receive the holy eucharist frequently try to live a good Christian life, and uh, yeah. Is it possible that things that we attribute to God's intervention are actually cases of the devil intervening or interceding? I think one has to discern spirits, you know, there's uh, the discernment of good and evil. I mean, there are situations where they speak, I think, in the scriptures of Satan kind of appearing as an angel of light. Yeah. And, you know, the Satan is the liar. He's the 
the uh, father of lies. Yeah. So there are times where, where that can happen. I think when you read some of the lives of the saints, you'll see that. I, I can't remember which saint it was, if it was St. Teresa of Avila or one of the saints who had encounters with demons at first thought it was a saint or someone holy and then realized they were being deceived. How do we know the difference? Is well, would it be obvious? It would, it would, it would eventually, yeah. Okay. I mean, if obviously the encounter, even if it seems like it's something like uh, uh, good, and but then when you hear there's some kind of temptation, there's some kind of thing, that, something that you you know is against the will of God. Well, that isn't going to come from Mary or a saint or from from Jesus. Mm-hmm. What about things that? seem like entertainment like uh, horror movies or haunted houses or there's tv shows that document ghost hunting are these things appropriate well i think you have to see what kind of level i think most of them are probably innocent but you know like i said there are places that have infestations i think that there would be a need to make sure that it's not anything sacrilegious Mm -hmm. you talked about maybe um people over-diagnosing things as spiritual attacks. What signs should we be looking for in ourselves or somebody else that would possibly show demonic possession? Well, I wouldn't even be worrying about it, honestly, about possession. I mean, it's just so rare. I mean, I think one just concentrates on living a faithful Christian life. Mm -hmm. Possession is, is very rare. Now, in other things, like I talked about some of the other, I mean, you have to avoid those things that are going to give an entry to an evil spirit. So uh-huh. always avoiding the anything that has to do with the occult, because that's usually when these kinds of things occur. Is there a certain type of person or maybe a, a certain gender or age group or uh, people that are not practicing their faith versus people that are practicing their faith that are more vulnerable to spiritual attacks? You know, I would think, I I don't know for sure, but I would think that if one is constantly living in a state of mortal sin, Hmm. that's not good. That's that, that person's probably more susceptible or more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Anything for protecting ourselves besides, you know, staying in a good state of grace, uh, any special prayers, or would you recommend families having holy water in the homes or things like that? I think having holy water in the home is a great thing to do. I think to bless yourself with holy water when you come into the house or when you leave, that's a great custom. I don't see it too often, but I think it's a great custom. I think also praying the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a great prayer. It used to always be said at the end of Mass in in the old rite, but that's a prayer that's good to say. But as you said, I think it's just the living a ordinary good Christian life. That's the most important thing. Going to the sacraments, taking some time to pray. Okay. Well, if you have questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we're going to learn more about demons and what power they have on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We've been talking about demonic attacks and uh, demonic possession 
as well. And maybe it'd be good to go back and talk about some of the origins of this because God actually created Satan and demons. Is that correct? Well, he didn't create them as demons. Right. Uh, or as Satan, he created angels, mm-hmm. these pure spiritual beings. And these angelical, angelic creatures, we know that most serve God, the divine plan, but others fell. And you think, okay, what did they do? They rebelled against God. Mm-hmm. Basically, what are the sin- sins of the, of the fallen angels? Two of the capital sins, pride and envy. Okay. Pride and envy. We speak of them as... Uh, diabolical they're opposed to god they're opposed to god's will they don't like the fact of god sending us a savior so they're opposed to christ and his work we know that they tried the devil tempted jesus himself but what they try to do is associate human beings in their revolt against god so we see this in the scriptures we see a lot about the devil and demons in the scripture. You know, the devil is called Satan, the ancient serpent in the book of Genesis, Mm -hmm. the dragon in the book of Revelation. So you have the first and the last book of the Bible. He's the seducer. He's the one who really engages in battle against those who are faithful to God and Mm -hmm. God's commandments. He's really the adversary of the human race. That's something that St. Peter says in, in his letter. St. John says he's a murderer from the beginning. Um, So he tries to snare human beings to disobey God. He's the great tempter. He's the liar, the father of lies. He's filled with deceit. We see the seduction of, of the first parents. He tried to divert Jesus from his mission. We speak of it, his power as a power of darkness because he hates the light. He hates the light who is Christ, and he wants to draw human beings into his own darkness. But the good news, the Son of God has destroyed the works of of the devil and these demons. Of course, we know that this struggle does continue in history until the last day when Christ comes again. And therefore, you know, people, things, and places can be affected by demons and by the devil. So that's why we always are on guard. But we know that God is more powerful, that Christ defeats the devil. And as a matter of fact, part of his ministry, as we talked about earlier, was expelling demons. This was part of his work of salvation. And he repelled the final assault of Satan through the power of the cross. And he triumphed over the pride of the ancient enemy. And we see his victory manifested in his resurrection. But it didn't end there. Christ gave his apostles and the other disciples authority to do exorcisms, to cast out unclean spirits. We see that in the different gospels where, where Jesus said, sent them forth to expel demons and to heal the sick, etc. And he also promised them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. We see then, even in apostolic times, in the Acts of the Apostles, we see the apostles casting out demons, praying for this. And that's going on throughout the history of the church through the liturgy of exorcism. So it's part of the church's sanctifying office, the rite of exorcism, both major exorcism and minor exorcisms that we've already talked about. So that kind of summarizes it. Is there any chance that the devil would convert? No. It's a definitive rejection of God. 
it's kind of like souls in hell there's no possibility mm -hmm. of being rescued once they're in hell the definitive no to god has already been given is part of that because he was with god and knew what he was giving up whenever he rejected god well these are kind of mysteries kyle yeah. i'm not sure you know i'm a little leery of trying to explain it all i i mean i think we have to see what what do we know from revelation clearly lucifer or satan wanted to be like god you mm. know so he kind of didn't accept his creaturely status he wanted to be like god and that's pride mm. and probably envy and really when you think of our human sins how often they're rooted in those especially in pride is there any point or value in praying for the devil no so more we should be praying for protection against the devil right right okay. and we do all the time in the lord's prayer we say deliver us from evil mm. you know it's deliver us from the evil one yeah which christ does one of the things we mentioned yesterday's gospel the man was possessed and he refers to himself as us yeah w why does he use that plural term because there was more than one demon huh. yeah i don't know much about that about how that works but yeah we do see that that there could be more than one demon that assaults a person or possesses a person yeah i told you i had a lot of questions about this right does each demon have a name i don't know hmm. what kind of power does the devil actually have over people because whatever power he would have would have been granted by god because god as would allow him to have that right as power. an angel right i mean god is ultimately in charge but god yeah when i mean it's kind of like when you think about how god created us with certain powers as human beings right well he created angels with certain powers and those powers aren't lost when they fell gotcha so, what, so what they have these special intellectual powers for example they can know things beyond what we would know for example they have a superior intelligence than we have and so when somebody that's possessed uh, is able to speak a language that they wouldn't normally know or knows facts about a person this is kind of is the evil equivalent of some of our saints who had some of these abilities to uh, speak in tongues or um be able to read somebody's soul or something like that correct huh. are demons everywhere all the time no i don't think so i think that's an attribute of god okay um i don't think that should be attributed to demons i mean i don't think that they they're definitely they're, and, and by the way when i talk about their superior knowledge i don't mean omniscient right they're not they, they aren't like god that way they're not omniscient it's not okay. like they know everything uh, and I don't think they're omnipresent. Do they go in churches? They can. Do Do they prefer certain areas? You mentioned like a a, a house that had been used for satanic yeah. worship or something. Yeah. I think they need. You know, they almost, from what I understand, now some of this isn't. I'm not saying with certainty. I think most of the time they're kind of invited. Hmm. Yeah. I think it wouldn't be normal to be in a church they would hate a church in many ways yeah you know but let's say there's someone who's doing something in a church where they're conjuring up evil spirits or something then i think it's possible but it wouldn't be a preferred place i don't think <laughs> right 
All right. Well, as always, you can ask your question by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we're going to have more discussion on spiritual versus medical illness and a question from Father Eric Bergner coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here talking about, we've been talking about exorcisms and demonic possessions and demonic influence. And one of the things that this always reminds me is of C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Have you read that? Yeah, it's years ago. It's excellent. I, I think it's a lot of spiritual wisdom in the screw tape letters. I forget how many there are, 32 or something. But it's um, a lot of good theology. That's what the I was wondering. Letters. I, I know it's, it's kind of a fictional story and kind right. of saying you know, how Satan might use influence over people and things like that. How theologically accurate do you think it is? I think it is. I mean, C.S. Lewis was a very good writer, theologian. I would say, um, for those who haven't read the Screw Tape Letters, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember the names so many years ago, but the uncle is instructing his nephew, I believe, in how to tempt human beings right. and uh, get them to fall. So there's just a lot in there, a lot of good material that you can learn, that we learn from. So about how the devil might work and you know so anyhow yeah i recommend the screw tape letters in learning more about the the truth of demonic possession or demonic influence would sharing this information and hopefully maybe through this show would that help people to value and realize the truth that god exists by realizing that this that these demons exist yeah i think so we shouldn't ignore evil or evil influences. And, you know, there are a lot of people who don't believe in the existence of the devil or of demons. That's unfortunate because their existence is a doctrine, dogma of the faith. You know, one of the things the devil likes is uh, getting people to believe that he doesn't exist, mm-hmm. you know. and, and um, But anyhow, um, I think it, it really makes one realize also that there is this this cosmic struggle. There is this struggle throughout history between good and evil. Yeah, Christ is the victor, but we're all involved in spiritual battle. Therefore, with a call to resist temptation, wherever that temptation may come from, it could come from the flesh, it could come from the world, it could come from the devil. So to persevere in good, to overcome evil with good, as St. Paul says, means we, we don't deny the existence of evil, mm-hmm. not only evil as evil things, but also evil beings. Yeah, I think that's a, a good positive note to end on this, the idea that you know Christ triumphs over all of this. And we did have one question submitted by Father Eric Bergner from St. Pius X. He asked a question on the topic. He said, would exercise be considered a type of exorcism? <laughs> I would expect a question like that from Father Eric. <laughs> Father Eric, exercise ER, not OR, or OR, not ER. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no direct relation. No direct relation at okay. all. But exercise is probably good for you. It anyway. is. It is. And spiritual exercises. Yeah, there yes. we go. Yes. I like it. Well, before we go, could we have your Episcopal blessing? Sure. 
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. On our next all-new episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop Rhodes will reflect upon the last 45 years since the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, which legalized abortion in our country. Plus, he'll talk about the National March for Life in Washington, D.C., and the local marches happening in both Fort Wayne and South Bend. He'll also share his hopes for the pro-life movement's future. Then it's on to the differences and similarities between the Latin Rite and Eastern Rite Catholic Church as he prepares to deliver the homily at a Byzantine liturgy later this month. The show will wrap up with Bishop Rhodes answering questions submitted by listeners. If you would like to submit a question for a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com askbishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone to ask a question. And while you're there, go to Audio Library to check out previous shows. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.